So we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1. So Mark chapter 6, verse 1. So as you're, as you're turning there, I want to recap the last couple of weeks. About two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus and how he calmed the storm and then calmed the waters, showing power over the, the natural things. And then he landed, and then he cast out a legion of demons, showing he has power over the supernatural things. And then Dan, last week, talked about the woman who was bleeding and how she was healed just by touching Jesus' garment. And then that Jesus raised a little girl from the dead after that, Josephus' daughter. And so you can just kind of see that Mark is ramping up the deity of Christ, right? And he uses that through stories. And so you're like, yeah, I mean, if you're a disciple, you're probably like, wow, this is amazing, great stuff. Like, what's next, right? You're probably, you know, charged up and ready to go. And now let's read Mark chapter 6, verse 1. And he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is this not, excuse me, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he, Jesus, could do no mighty works there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled at their unbelief. And he went among the villages, teaching. Does that, does that sit well with you? Verse 5. And he could do no mighty works there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people. Mark had clearly just shown those four stories of ramping up, showing the power of Christ. And then he goes to Nazareth, and he could do no mighty works there. Does that sit with you, Ari? Why? And you can see that Mark is, is the author, is, is setting up this, and then it almost feels like, Oh, it falls down. Like, what, what's happening? Now, I want us to sit in that tension for a little bit because there's something there. Mark is trying to communicate something to us. What about it that the, that the Nazarenes and their unbelief and he, Jesus, could do no mighty works? What's going on? Now, I want us to sit in that tension. I want to sit in that awkwardness as we go through the text. So, Nazareth, most estimates about that village is probably about 500 people over about 60 acres. There's some variation in the different, different things I've researched, but that's a good roundabout. So the people of Nazareth, they knew Jesus and they knew that family, right? You don't, you don't live in a small town of 500, all kind of that jam-packed and not know each other. Right? And so the people of Nazareth knew Jesus and his family. They saw Jesus probably running around as a kid, crawling, scraping his knee, things that little boys do. And then Jesus grows up, and then he starts his ministry, right? So he, he leaves from that town. It's probably about a year earlier that he left to start his ministry. And then he comes back, and he comes back with a group of disciples, right? 
That's verse one. His disciples follow him. But Jesus comes back to Nazareth and he's got a posse with him. He's got a group. So now what are the people of Nazareth thinking? Right? And so Jesus starts teaching. And to us, like, hey, this makes sense. Oh, they were astonished. They were amazed by, you know, probably the stories of the disciples. Hey, this, this Jesus that just raised a little girl from the dead, and he's healing people, and he's casting out demons, and people of Nazareth are like, whoa, what's going on? And then you see in verse 3, they start disrespecting and dishonoring Jesus. Right? So they start going down the list. Is this not the carpenter? Carpenter is like that blue-collar job, right? Working with stones, working with wood. The son of Mary. They're starting to insult. Right? At that time, you were referred on your father's line. And so, also in verse 3, there's a the word offense. They were offended at him. If you understand the Greek, there's a connotation of scandalized in that word offended. And so they were scandalized by Jesus. It might be because... You know, he wasn't the biological father of Joseph, right? So maybe there's some scandal there. But the point is, they took offense. They disrespected Jesus. And in some sense, it makes sense if you don't believe that Christ is living. Right? So they saw Jesus grow up as a little boy. So they saw that he was 100%. They did not believe that he was 100%. Not they didn't, they didn't get that. So Jesus, as in response, you know, a prophet is not without honor in his hometown, his relatives, his family. You know, like Jesus' brothers and sisters didn't believe who he was. Like, for example, James. James didn't believe who he was until after the resurrection. And Jesus paid a special visit to him and said, hey, you know, I am who I say I am. And it took that for his family to believe. So as you go through, and then we, we start getting to verse 5 and 6. And that's where it's, and he could do no mighty works. And he marveled after unbelief. And so I started thinking, is, is this a unique thing in the Bible? Meaning, are there things that we do that have impact or action that somehow limits the situation or limits God. I don't want to say limits God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But as I was looking around, men and husbands, husbands, do you know that your prayers can be hindered? That's in First Peter 3, 7. Go read that verse. How you treat your wife, which to me is very much linked with your relationship with the Lord, your prayers can be hindered. Does that mean God can't hear your prayers? No. What about Mark eleven four? Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive it, and it will be yours. So if you don't ask, you don't get it, and if you don't believe, you don't get it. So there's this, what is this tension that we're feeling? And I think we, we have to process and accept but there is this tension in the Bible that it's not always super clear cut. But what is the power of unbelief? What is the power that the Nazarene's unbelief had on Jesus and his miracles? And so there's that tension, there's that awkwardness. 
And here's what I think the power of unbelief has. One, I think it hides the truth. So Jesus, literally God incarnate, was walking among them, even performed some minor miracles, if you will. He still healed people, and they still didn't believe. So I think unbelief hides the truth. Unbelief, I also think, breaks God's heart. And he, Jesus marveled at their unbelief. I don't know, I, I, I get a sense of, like, it's almost heartbreaking for Jesus. I think of Jesus in Passion Week as he is going into Jerusalem and he weeps over the city. You know, God's heart can be broken. And I think unbelief breaks God's heart. And then the third thing I think about unbelief is that it hinders the supernatural. And let me be clear, I'm not, you know, don't get the tar out and tar and feather me yet. What I'm, what I'm saying, I think God is completely in control of all things, right? So he is all powerful, all knowledgeable, all the omnis, right? If you've taken theology classes. So what's going on? And I think a very short answer is that God uses us, people who are made in his image, God uses us and our story for his story. So we get the honor and the dignity to participate in his story. Let me say that again. We get the honor and dignity to participate in God's story. I don't think we're moist robots. Frank Turek, who, who wrote the book, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I've heard some of his debates. He does college campuses and debates atheists and others. And he says, we're not moist robots, right? And, and we're not just, you know, these automatons that do exactly. We have at least some free will in our lives, right? We get to make choices. Some of them are sinful choices. Some of them are right choices, right? And that has impact on the world that we live in. So our faith, our trust in God and his word impacts the world we live in. And so you might ask, what, what is this faith? What is this unbelief? And so the classic verse is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I think there's a whole sermon series on faith that could be done here. But I, I want to just focus in on trust. When you listen, hear that verse, I just hear trust all over, right? Assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. I just, I just feel trust in it. And so I want to, I asked earlier when I started, hey, what is, what is this unbelief that impacts folks, that impacts the situation? And it was kind of a broad question. What, what is faith and its limitations? And I want to ask a more personal question. What are you struggling with in your faith? Are you struggling with the resurrection itself? Do you believe that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead? Because the resurrection is what pins our faith. It's the centerfold of our faith. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your friends can be saved? Maybe you have a family member. Do you believe that God desires all people to be saved? That's in 1 Timothy 2. Do you believe? Do you believe that wholeheartedly? Or do you have doubt? Oh, maybe this friend here kind of has a lot going on in his life, so you know, probably not interested. 
What about your marriage? Do you have faith that your marriage can be healed? Do you, do you have struggles? Or maybe you just have an average marriage and playing on your phones all night and just kind of sitting on the couch next to each other but a thousand miles apart? Do you believe that you can have a healthy marriage? Do you have a wayward child? Do you believe that child will come back like, with all your heart, with all your conviction? Do you have some type of, maybe it's an addiction, maybe gambling or porn or alcohol or fill in the blank? Do you believe that through the power of God you can be saved or be healed? And so when we have doubts, it starts hiding the truth, right? And we need to have that trust. We need to have that trust in God. And we need to have that trust in God's word. And I think trust is a key point. And we're going to read the next six verses here. And you're going to see a juxtaposition that Mark is doing. He's showing Nazareth. And he's showing what the unbelief is. And then let's read, starting in verse 7. And he, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no money in their belts, no bag, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from them. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Do you feel that juxtaposition that just happened? Right? So the people of Nazareth didn't believe. And Jesus could do no mighty work there. And then Jesus empowers his disciples. And then his disciples go out start healing people and casting out unclean spirits. So what's what's going on? What's what's going on with this verse? So Jesus sends them out two by two, and at that time you have one person who would testify and another person who would validate. So there's like a legal aspect of that at that time. But Jesus sends them out and he it's a trust exercise. Don't take any money. Don't take two tunics. Right? This isn't Every time Jesus sends out to his disciples, he doesn't send them out like this. This is kind of a unique time where he sends them out and says, don't take anything. And I look at that as that's a trust exercise. That's a faith. Do you believe in Jesus? And his disciples go out there, and while I'm sure not every village they talked to or every person they talked to came to the realization or repented, but they were successful. And so there's that trust that the disciples had. And I think it's it's a juxtaposition between these two stories. And what I also see is that the disciples went out there and preached for people to repent. Now, we love, our God is an all-powerful, all-loving God. And so we have to, we need to preach that all the way up and down. Now, so sometime, at the same time, we also need to teach repent. I'm not talking about being a you know the guy outside the CLC on stadium with the sign that says repent the end of the year. I don't know, maybe, but <laughs> you gotta repent, which is just a word that means turn. So if you're struggling and you're like, hey, I need to I need to turn and start walking towards God. Faith is more than a belief, it takes trust and it takes action. 
Faith is more than a belief. It takes trust and it takes action. And one of the things I like about this story is that Jesus sends out the disciples. He empowers them. So it's actually two things like the Bible story. So one, he empowers them. And so we as Christians, when we accept Christ, what do we have that dwells inside of us? Holy Spirit, right? And there are examples in the Bible where it's like the Spirit of Christ. So we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us as Christians. And then the second thing I like about this is that the disciples have all the right theology. The answer is no. They still struggled in understanding who Jesus truly was. And so I went through seminary, I did some seminary classes, finished it up earlier this year. And I saw all the I saw a lot of different views on different topics. And some of them made me kind of question, go, oh, you know, I, I didn't know that was I had such a good argument for that belief. And so I'm sure there's something that I believe it's absolutely true. Well, it's maybe one of these things, right? And so you have to like, what do you hold with a closed fist, like the resurrection? What do you hold with an open fist? But open hands kind of open fist. Oh. Um, but the point is that the disciples didn't have the right perfect theology. And oftentimes we get caught up into, oh, before you take that action, you've got to have everything just right. Clearly the disciples do. So I think the main point of these stories is that our faith, our belief, it impacts the world that we live in. If you're... I've struggled some with kind of determinism, like, well, God's in control of everything, and so there's no reason to go do X, Y, Z thing, which is not true, right? So if that's where you're at in your spiritual journey, you got to accept where you are, right? But know that that's not true. So, so what is this? What should we do with this information? Now that we've heard these stories, we've seen the juxtaposition, we've seen that Christ sent out the disciples, they didn't quite have the right theology, but they believed. They were empowered. What, what do we do with this information? And I think the first thing you have to do, we, we need to do, is lean into the areas in our life where we're struggling and have disbelief. And it, it might be a big kind of core central theme, like the resurrection. And if you're struggling with that, that's something we need to lean into, right? If you're maybe on your journey and you're so like, is, is, is God real? Do you struggle with maybe moments of doubt? In, in my moments of doubt, I struggled uh, earlier. It was the Frank Turk's I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That's a great book. And it, it shows logical reasons on why God is real and then leads into why Christ is Right? So if you have these things of belief, and I'm going to use the resurrection, but it, it could be other topics as well. If your marriage is, on, is only okay or on the rocks, or you have some type of addiction, where you have your moments of disbelief for you personally, lean into that. And I don't mean accept it. I mean, go, I know this is what God's word says, but I don't feel it. I don't know it. I don't feel it in my heart. So I'm going to lean into it. And I'm going to find somebody to walk with me where I'm going to research that. And I'm going to pray about it. And I'm just going to continue leaning and go deeper and deeper and deeper until I'm satisfied with it. Because I think the Holy Spirit could be putting things on our hearts that say something to 
you know, hey, do you, do you believe that your friend can be saved? And you may be thinking, well, you know, they got some. If you're if you're feeling that, or you have a wayward child, or fill in the blank, and you know what the scripture says, and you don't believe it and deeply lean into that and go research it, walk with somebody who's maybe been there before. I think of Tim Keller, who's a Presbyterian minister who passed away a couple months ago. I was listening to an interview he did, and he was telling me about, what he's telling me, he's telling the interviewer about a book he read, this book, The Resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright, 800 some pages, so no pictures in the books, right? So <laughs> I read a lot of kids' books. Anyways, because I have three kids, I have three kids. Anyways, um, <laughs> But something he said in that interview was he'd already been a minister for probably 20 plus years at that point. And he, he was absolutely 100% confident about the resurrection. And I keep bringing up the resurrection because this is the core of Christianity. And he said, when you read this book, I have not read it. I plan to read it. So you guys can hold me accountable, but it's 800 pages, so give me a while. Um, <laughs> but he said, when he read that, even though he knew he felt it deeper in his soul. It just went, he's like an elevator analogy. It went deeper in my soul. And so if you are a Christian and you have either some doubts or you're like, you know what? And I heard him say that and I'm like, I want that for my soul. I know it, the resurrection is true. I want that elevator to go like 10 more stories deep. So in all my free time with three kids and a full-time job, I'm to read this one. And then the second thing is going to be action. So faith is more than just a belief. It takes trust and it takes action. So Dan used a lot of sports analogy last week. So thank you, Dan. He went somewhere. Oh, there he is. Thanks, Dan. So I want to use the same analogy, right? Get in the game. Are you in the game? And it's okay to start small. Christina needs eight more people on Sunday morning. So one time a month, you can do children's, right? I, I texted Cyrus this week. Hey, what helped this impact life need? It can be something really small, like data entry Cyrus needs. Or it could be like, hey, we're going we're gonna to do a fundraising event. Can you help out with the fundraising event? So start taking action. And here's, here's what I've seen, and it's been my personal life story and others. When you start taking action, you believe, you start trusting, and you start taking action. You see God move, and it circles back around, and it deepens your faith back over here. And then again, you start taking more action, see God move, and then it swings back around, and it deepens your faith. And it's this circle. And as Zach mentioned this morning about the Mexico trip, going on a big trip, like to Mexico, I went with Cyrus to Africa, Sierra Leone, and that really deepened my faith. It can be like miracle growth, what Zach said, right? You really deepen up your faith. That could be something that it spins up. It just keeps spinning and it impacts your belief. And boom, boom, boom. And there are going to be times where life's going to kick you and you're going to go down. And if that's where you're at right now, and you don't have this strong foundation, this strong root of belief and action and seeing God move and starting back around, all I can say is sorry. I've been there. Chris and I had some, some struggles 
after he lost her son because I, I don't think I was deep enough in my faith and I was lukewarm. I could have been such a better husband and I could have been such a better man of God during that time. And so if that's where you're at now, I want you to take hope and that the struggles and the doubts that you're having can be overcome. And if you're not in that moment now, I'm going to really encourage you, lean into those areas of disbelief or lack of belief because it's going to be really, life will happen. You will get laid off or there'll be some medical thing or something's going to happen, a crisis in your life. We live in a sinful, broken world. It's going to happen this side of heaven. And the more you get involved, the more bolsters your faith, the more you do. And it just goes deeper and deeper in your soul. And so the last thing I want to end with is Luke 18. This is after the parable of the persistent woman. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on when the Son of Man comes, talking about the second time, will he find faith on the earth? And I think about that as it's a rhetorical question that Jesus asked. But at the same time, if Christ were to come back now, is my faith, will he find me being faithful? Is my faith deep enough? Is my faith true enough? And like I said, like the disciples, they didn't have the truck theology, but they believed. So I'm going to invite up Josh and the band. I'm going to pray, and then Josh is going to tell us about his Mexico trip. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your word, Mark chapter 6. And I pray that you would draw us closer to you during this time. Lord, where we have doubts, where we have struggles, Lord, will you expose them and help us listen? And give us people in our lives and the right words and the right texts and the right scriptures to grow closer to you and grow closer to each other. Lord, thank you for the 28 people that went to Mexico. Lord, I believe that there was miracle grow on their faith. And Lord, I pray that continues to expand across our church and that we just get deeper and deeper in love with you, deeper and deeper in your word. Jesus, we love you and pray through your son's name. Thank you.